Hello, and welcome to Love in the Time of Everyone, where we talk about the way relationships have changed over time. I'm your host, Emily Diekman. Today's guest is named Carlos Valenzuela, and he's the author of a new book, Letters to Young Carlos, a novella based on his experience growing up in Agua Prieta, Mexico. I sat down to talk to Carlos, expecting this to be a story about what it was like to grow up gay in one really specific time in one really specific place. We did talk about that, but we also talked about lots of other stuff, like musical theater and traveling and how you define a romantic relationship. Our conversation was really fascinating, and it seemed fitting, for some reason, especially during Pride Month, to let this story be a little bit less linear in favor of highlighting how multifaceted Carlos is, and to highlight how, even though his sexuality is a really important part of his identity, there are many more pieces to that identity, and to the story of his life. One of the most important themes we talked about in our conversation was friendship, a particular kind of friendship that, in some ways, goes hand in hand with a particular kind of loneliness. Have you ever, do you have anybody in your life? I, I don't know if anybody else does, but that you don't remember meeting them because they were like always there. I mean, besides your immediate family, I don't remember meeting Gustavo. I mean, uh, they, there's, there's, I think my, our, our mother said that they, they had us as babies in a pig, in a playpen together when we were growing up. So there was never a time when we were formally introduced As a kid growing up in Agua Prieta, Carlos was obsessed with musicals and film. Carlos and I had that in common. He wanted to be a movie star when he grew up. So when Gustavo knocked on his door one day and asked if he wanted to come over and play theater, Carlos just about died. And he was a newspaper boy, and he delivered the paper in, in, in Agua Prieta on the Mexican side. So he rode his bike up and down our street delivering the the newspaper and he did knock on the door and come and ask for permission from my mom if I could go and play at his house on Saturday and and play theater and so of course I wanted to be a movie star already at that time I was destined to be a movie star and I said and my mom said you know gave permission and I went and we started playing every Saturday. We had our little playhouse and we had smaller kids come and sit with us and we we lip-synced, we would lip-sync all the Mickey Mouse uh, songs. You might have to think about it a little bit to get to just the right memory, but I bet if you do, you'll find a memory from your childhood that makes you feel the same way Carlos and Gustavo did on these weekends. For me, It was afternoons and sleepovers spent at my friend Becca's house. We had these ridiculous, overactive imaginations. I remember once we turned her room into a jungle-themed restaurant, and this was just using stuff we had lying around. So like, a pile of sheets on top of an overturned laundry hamper became an exotic tree. Or like, we threw a t-shirt over a lamp to dim the light, and that was supposed to be jungle mood lighting or something. We probably spent hours on this with no sense of how much time had passed and with no pesky grown-up thoughts about how we'd probably better wrap this up so we can get back to doing something more productive. Carlos and Gustavo spent all their Saturday afternoons in the same magical space, outside of time. 
Other boys their age weren't into musicals or singing Mickey Mouse songs, but they both loved it, and they were able to share it with each other. They shared everything with each other. In fact, as Carlos got older, he started to realize that liking musicals and movie stars wasn't the only thing about him that was different. When he was around 15, he started to realize he wasn't interested in girls. Actually, he was interested in boys. It's it's very curious because that 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 attraction or that sharing of something in common that we love so much. We kept going with it, but it kept being different things and the stakes kept getting uh, sort of higher. In other words, than we, than schools where we, we would decide on the, the school that we wanted to go to and that would be the one. And, and then until eventually one day we did come out to each other. We just, I mean, in a very uh, awkward conversation, we just started talking about liking boys. As we, as we were riding around in a car. And it became that, and it was sort of like a, like a revisit of the Saturday theater, except this time we were also on our own on liking men. There was something special about sharing this with each other, in part because they definitely couldn't share it with anybody else. At the time, there were no other examples of openly gay people around. The local culture was very much influenced by Catholicism and traditionalism. The 1950s weren't a fun time to be gay in a lot of places. This is the same period as the Lavender Scare in the United States. Homosexuality was still considered a mental illness by the psychiatric community as well. Plenty of studies have pointed this out. Plus, if you're Mexican or you know any Mexicans, you know this already. But the idea of machismo, or essentially a strong sense of masculine pride, made things in some ways even more difficult in Mexico. Stanley Brandis, an anthropologist at Berkeley, says that in traditionally Mexican cultures, part of machismo is, quote, a constant attempt to force masculine rivals into the feminine role in a never-ending quest to avoid adopting the role themselves, end quote. So from the perspective of machismo, the real and very big problem with homosexuality is about violation of gender norms rather than sexuality. The important thing in this culture was for men to act strong and manly. That means not doing or enjoying anything that might be perceived as feminine, like, say, singing along to Mickey Mouse songs. This mindset was so internalized in some parts of the country that it's not just that gay people feel unaccepted by others, but that they start to hate themselves too. It's what Carlos calls the homophobia of the gay person. In other words, we are homophobic ourselves because we don't necessarily initially see ourselves uh, married, especially to a man or to a same-sex person, especially in the 1950s. So that was very scary to think of the fact that you were actually going to take up house with someone. So nobody wanted to be gay, especially not Carlos and Gustavo. The first LGBTQ plus groups in Mexico didn't form until the 1970s, and those were in places like Mexico City and Guadalajara, not teeny tiny Agua Prieta. Well, being gay was an aberration of nature. I mean, you you would you would fall under the category of being a freak at that time, and of course, uh, 
one of the things that happens in, 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 in this bicultural, because I grew up on the border, there was a lot of things from the Mexican culture and a lot of things from the American culture. And in both the Mexican and the American culture, the butt of all jokes and the best, funniest jokes that everybody ad admired were about gay people. You know, the gay man showed up and da da da, da. and so there it was it was very very low on the totem pole as far as desirability to 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 be anything near that so i think that was the fear carlos has now written a book inspired by his experience of growing up gay in a border town and i first heard about him because he's involved with southern arizona senior pride a group for seniors in the lgbtq plus community here in tucson I knew at some point he had found a way to be more comfortable with his identity. So at one point I asked Carlos about when he came out. I know that's an oversimplified question and I should find a better way to ask it. But I'm always curious about that space between when someone realizes who they are and when or if they decide to share that realization or that information with others. On average, LGBTQ plus folks come out at younger ages now than they did a few decades ago. A Stonewall survey from 2010 found that on average, people aged 18 to 24 came out when they were 17, people in their 30s came out at 21, and people who were over 60 at the time of the survey said they had come out at age 37 on average. For many of the reasons Carlos mentioned, People who were a part of this community back in, say, the 1950s or 60s took longer to come to terms with themselves and to announce it to other people. Actually, coming out in the environment he grew up in, Carlos explained, just wasn't really a thing. And But never in our farthest thought did we ever consider that what we needed to do was have this official moment when we come out because actually we were just too freaked out ourselves to even admit it to ourselves much less come out so the way that it happened was we just sort of moved along with everyone we were of course in a group of a peer group of 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 basically straight people and we just joined them and became part of them and went to the dances and did everything together it wasn't until we both and we happened to have done it together because my friend is about my age went away to to school that we actually realized that there were other gay people i mean we were that far from reality we just had no idea that there was a whole universe of people that felt and thought like us so obviously we just never thought about like coming out or telling anyone anything about it can you imagine it's like if you grew up on an alien planet where everyone made jokes and insults about earthlings all the time and the whole time you're thinking i think i'm actually an earthling and i'm probably the only one here, and I just have to figure out how to live on this planet alone. Well, actually, it would be like if you and your confidant and musical theater duet partner and best friend in the world were the only two Earthlings on the planet. Carlos and Gustavo had each other, 
and they shared this big, weighty secret, not to mention all these common interests. I felt like I had to ask, even if it might seem a little presumptuous, did anything ever happen between the two of them, since they were so close? It almost seemed like Carlos was surprised to hear that question, which I wasn't expecting. I mean, really, he was like, me and Gustavo? Together? You know, no. It just wasn't there, you know? Uh, as, as you probably know, the fact that somebody is uh, of the same sex does not spark romance automatically. And, and we were definitely like family. It would be like incest. Friendships like that, I think, are irreplaceable. Eventually, it was time for Carlos to leave Agua Prieta to go find himself and to go find a job. The first time he met a gay person besides Gustavo was when he moved to San Francisco for college. He ended up getting a job and meeting a lot of other gay people because, well, it was San Francisco in the 1970s. And I went to work for Levi Strauss, the jeans company in San Francisco, which was like Disneyland for me because it was 1971 and um, it was right after the flower child, flower child people and pot and poppers and everything. And, and so San Francisco for me was um, like a, a workshop on, on being gay because I, I, I had not experienced it before. With that workshop on how to be gay completed, Carlos was transferred to Argentina and then to Brazil, where he met his first lover, a man from Rome with the deliciously mysterious name, Muni Ezra. I feel like I'm in love with Muni Ezra just based on his name. Things were good for the two of them. But it was a time when, uh, you know, I was transferred out of there and back to Mexico City, and there was no way that I could bring Muni with me. I mean, it was just not possible. He didn't have the visas. Uh, it would look terrible if I told the company, you know, I have to bring my best friend with me because, you know, that was already, I was already struggling with the corporate world. It was just too hard. And so, unfortunately, uh, that that uh, romance dissipated. And, uh, uh, but never... It was a wonderful relationship, but it was, it was, it just had to be over. It was just a sign of the times. After Mooney, and I mean, who could replace someone named Mooney Ezra, right? Anyway, after Mooney, Carlos was single for about 10 years, then in quite a long-term relationship, like buy a house together, long-term relationship. But for the last 20 years, he's been single. And for the last 10 years, he hasn't even really dated. You know, and since the millennium, for the last 20 years, I've been very single. I mean, I initially, uh, I dated, but in the last 10 years, I can't honestly say that I've even done that. And I often wonder now if the natural state of man, of man human mankind humankind, I should say, is not actually to be single. I mean, we, we, we are, we're born alone and, and we die alone. 
And, and I consider now that anything that happens in between from cradle to tomb, as the song says, is on a loner. I think they're loners to us and they're never ours. They never, uh, that's how I feel. I want to pause here for a moment to point out an interesting linguistic tidbit. Carlos is saying loners as in loan shark or car loan, L-O-A-N. But when he first said loners, I thought he meant solitary people, like L-O-N-E-R-S loners. Considering everyone we get in our lives is just being lent to us, perhaps it's better for us to remain solitary. In other words, because everyone is alone, maybe it's better to just be alone. Back to Carlos, though. And, and if you are committed to your partners or your significant other's happiness, you have to be open to the idea that they might find it someplace else. So I turn this around my head a lot, over and over and over, and I, I come to the conclusion that for me, being single is, is, is perfect. When I first sat down to talk to Carlos, I was so curious to hear just all about his relationships. To be fair, I guess this is a podcast about relationships, but sometimes I wonder if I'm contributing to our culture's near obsession with being partnered. Does that make sense? Like, settling down into a monogamous relationship is the norm, but just wanting some form of ongoing romantic love in your life with someone that you live with is also considered normal. And You know, not everyone wants to approach love in the same way. Not everyone even wants it at all. I think this familiarity with being different or feeling like the only person like him in a community or a company or a group has made Carlos really accepting of other lifestyles. And that's kind of where our conversation went. I've, I've studied the relationships around me, and of course, introspectively a lot myself. And I I just like the idea that, you know, whatever it is you define as your relationship, however you think it's going to go down and however you're going to do it, that is your form of love. I find I have friends who have significant others who see each other once a week. They live in separate homes and they get together once a week. Maybe, maybe not. And, you know, and when I was speaking to one of the, uh, to this one person, I, he told me, you know what people tell me all the time? They don't understand my relationship. They say to me, you deserve better. It's like, you're not getting the whole meal. You're not getting all the whole, all the courses. There's actually a word for this, by the way. Canadian sociologists Laura Funk and Karen Kobayashi have researched the phenomenon and termed it living apart together. In one study, they interviewed 28 couples whose members ranged in age from 39 to 92 about this arrangement. Why live away from someone you love? They gave plenty of reasons why they liked it more independence, avoiding practical and financial logistics, and just literally having more space to themselves. Some chose it so they could preserve their existing relationships with family and friends. 
Carlos said he feels the definition of what a relationship is exactly is also too narrow in some ways. So many people are lonely out there, but they have such a tiny definition of a relationship. They have this really tiny keyhole through which the world and all the possibilities must fit. And actually, what I think in today's love, it should be expanded to whatever it is. If you are in a relationship, the only person you owe an explanation to in 2021 is the other person, if that. But you don't owe, you don't need to explain yourself or what you're doing to anybody else. It's not a community project. On a related note, Carlos shared his thoughts about how the name of his community, or the community he's a part of, keeps changing. Specifically, it keeps getting longer. Like, people used to talk only about L and G, then LGB, LGBT, LGBTQ, LGBTQIA+, and so on. He says people have asked him about this before, and he always says he thinks it's awesome. If every day a person comes along who finds a new, valid-feeling way to express themselves, why not, Carlos reasons throw another letter onto the end. Every day, our community has a, is able to make other people feel comfortable with who they love. And including, of course, the majority of the world, which is straight, and, and the variations that they have, and the, and the, the ways in which they, they, I mean, people take on mistresses, have lovers. I, I, I don't, I don't disapprove of any of them. I, I wish they could just always remember not to harm themselves or anybody else, hopefully in the process of carrying out their dream. But that's what it is today. I mean, I'm sure that in the next few years, we're going to have more letters than we can put on an envelope. Speaking of carrying out one's dreams, since romance isn't the most important thing in Carlos's life, or the only topic in the world, I guess. I'll tell you more about his career. When he was in Mexico City, post Muni Ezra, Carlos just got sick of the corporate world, so he decided to change careers. While he was choosing what to pursue, he had to consider factors I've never even thought about. And, of course, he spent plenty of time consulting Gustavo. I became so disenchanted with the corporate world and... and uh that I, I went to London and became a hairdresser. And, and that I credit with really liberating me. And I, I, I chose to go to, to, to London because the career of hairdressing wasn't really my choice. It wasn't like something that I said, oh my God, I wanted so badly to be a hairdresser. It was really more because I saw how the beauty industry embraced gay people. It was so, it was so okay to be gay and work in a salon. And I said, I am just so tired of all of these situations. I have walking on eggshells of being passed up, of always feeling that you're outside looking in. I want to be somewhere inside. 
Carla spent almost 40 years in the hairdressing industry and even traveled to 17 countries as a worldwide spokesperson for Pivot Point International. And he says he didn't experience any discrimination in the salon world. He told this one story, though, about a time he went to France for an event and was a little bit nervous because sometimes French people don't like Americans and there was some tension between France and the U.S. for whatever reason at the time. There was absolutely no tension surrounding his visit, though. He pointed out that this was probably because, despite considering himself American and having spent most of his life in the United States, technically, Carlos is Mexican. I think I was a token Latino in many situations, like I've been a token gay and now a token senior. But I, I, I'm okay with that. I'll play that game because I know it, it's, um, it carries with it a certain amount of responsibility because you, if they did let you in, quote unquote, you should perform and uh, so that the door doesn't shut and other people could come through. That's Carlos's number one piece of advice to young people. Find what you love and get really, really good at it. For him these days, that means a lot of writing. He still attends the Catholic Church as well. Even though the Catholicism of his childhood community was one of the reasons he was afraid to be himself. He says he believes it's important for people to see a queer person praying in a church. So, though he's traveled the world, fallen in and out of love, found himself in San Francisco, developed a craft, realized what he wants, and now even written a book, some things really haven't changed. Take his lifelong friendship with Gustavo, for example. Yeah, it's very funny because we can talk for hours. And uh, when, when I was growing up, we used to ride around. We used to uh, ask for the car and then drive around the few streets that were in our small town for an hour, an hour and a half, and then we would come home. And that was a time when we still had wall phones, you know, the kitchen phone, I remember it was yellow. And, and as soon as I got home from riding around for an hour, an hour and a half, the phone would ring and it was my friend Gustavo and we would be on the phone for another hour. My mom would say, you just saw each other for an hour and a half. What are you talking about? And I don't know, but still today, I mean, we have about an hour's chat on Sundays uh, for uh, on Sundays and, and we could go on forever, but it's just, uh, that's the way it works. It's wonderful to have that kind of friend. I don't think there are, there is any kind of a friend as, as, as valuable and as loved as those friends we have from childhood. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Love in the Time of Everyone. A big thanks to Carlos for the chat and to Keith Ashley of Southern Arizona Senior Pride for introducing us. You can buy Carlos's book, Letters to Young Carlos, on Amazon. It's a fictional story based on his time growing up in Agua Prieta and inspired by the concept what if we could write letters to our younger selves? I sat down to read the book so I could have a good background before talking to Carlos, but I really did enjoy the story and the writing. It was recently named a finalist for the novella category in the 2021 International Book Awards. You can keep up with Carlos at his website, carlos-valenzuela.com. 
Thanks as always to Local Kindergartener for the theme music and to Bridget Thumb and Kathy Rivers for all of their help. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, leave a review, do what you can. We're going to close, of course, with a quote from Carlos's book. Dear young Carlos, you found a real friend, one who hears the song in your heart and will sing it back if you forget, one with whom you can stand naked to bear your soul and without shame. A real friend is a master teacher. <laughs>